Making bad financial assumptions. Well, they know what you say about assumptions, so hopefully let's not go there. It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Well, on today's podcast, we should have a little bit of fun. We won't uh, have the bleep button at our disposal, so just be on your best behavior here, Matt. (laughs) Because uh, we all know what happens when we assume, as you uh, teased a little bit earlier, we certainly make fools out of ourselves, is I think how the saying goes, something like that. We're going to be talking about some of the bad financial assumptions that we've seen people make before. Maybe maybe we've even made some of these mistakes in our own lives. And what goes wrong when we assume these things in our financial planning and how maybe we can even take some steps to correct or fix issues that we may have created from our bad financial assumptions. Matt, before we get into the specifics of these on today's podcast, are we right here? I mean, are we proposing a logical thought process here? Do people come into your office all the time and you start talking to them about why they're doing certain things with their money and you realize it's because they're basing decisions off of wrong assumptions? Oh, my goodness. Yes. it's uh, You know, one of the things I always talk about, we've talked about it here on the show many times, is, you know, when you look at an income distribution plan and someone says that, oh, well, and they're, let's say they're already working with an advisor or they're one of these type that they're a spreadsheet, you know, guru and they have everything in there. And I, well, okay, well, what assumptions are you making to be able to say that you're going to be okay? You know, I, mm-hmm. I talked about this. I met with someone just about three weeks ago and I asked her, she had put together this big, brilliant spreadsheet and had all these different things in it. But as we were looking at it, the assumption that she was making for her rate of return was probably not within reality based on how much risk she was taking. And in addition, she had no assumption or calculation for inflation. Oh, wow. So two strikes. Yeah. So, you know, in that particular case, that assumption could have detrimental effects years down the line. So understanding, you know, and and let's get one thing straight. In many cases in the financial world, the business world, what have you, certain assumptions are needed as we're moving forward, right? For instance, how much money am I going to need in retirement? Well, the assumption is going to be based on lifestyle, sources of income and assets, right? So we have to make some assumptions, but I think to then have our expectations, we have to really look and analyze what are we willing to make our assumptions on and is it reality? Is it realistic or is it pie in the sky? You know, in business, you talk about, okay, well, a company like Apple is, okay, how many iPhones are we expecting to sell when we release our new one, whatever that's going to be or whenever it's going to be, because then they have to go ahead and have them ready, you know, have to put money into inventory, have them built. So assumptions are important. I think having realistic assumptions are are the most important thing you can really look at. Yeah. And I think, you know, think of the consequences here just from your spreadsheet example, and then we'll get into our list of some of the top, you know, bad financial assumptions we've seen made. But just on that example with the spreadsheet of having the rate of return as sort of a bad assumption and not even thinking about inflation, you're talking about okay, the plan says my spreadsheet says we should make it to 105 before we run out of money. And even then we've got some buffers so should be okay. 
you're talking about that changing to, oh, actually, we run out of money at 85 instead of 105. And although we still might be okay with a little bit of the buffer that's built in, now there's a lot more question marks surrounding the validity and longevity of that plan. And and now if you do live to 100, now we start seeing some of the major flaws in a plan like that. And sometimes it's more dramatic of a consequence. Sometimes it's less dramatic. But you know, just kind of put that into terms of what happens sometimes when these bad assumptions get made. It can have a true impact of exactly how long your money is going to last or how a certain part of your plan, how effective it's going to be. So just keep that in mind as we walk through these different bad financial assumptions. Number one on the list, Matt, would be a Roth IRA is going to save money for us in the end. Or people will assume the opposite direction. A traditional IRA is going to save us money because of the upfront benefits. Why is it a risky assumption to assume either direction? That's where we've talked before about where we're going to put our money and understanding the tax issues on when we're going to spend the money. And, you know, we've talked before about the paradigm shift that goes from our accumulation time of life where we're earning money, we're saving money, and then most importantly, where we're putting our money. And then the decumulation or spending the money when that value is going to come down. So is the Roth going to save money in the end? Well, you have to understand a Roth. Okay, there's no tax savings when I contribute to the Roth. It grows tax-free, comes out tax-free, currently is not subject to minimum distribution rules. In a traditional IRA, I get tax savings today. It grows tax deferred, just like the Roth does, but then it comes out fully taxable and I have to have minimum distributions, even if I don't need the money, so to speak, for just regular living or vacation or or retirement needs. So you have to be able to look at both and understand both instead of just assuming, well, I'm going to go ahead and throw all my money into a Roth. You know, one of the things about a Roth that what I advise on is take advantage of it because yes, in the long term, you probably are going to save money, but that doesn't mean IRA money's bad. You know, if you're getting a match in your 401k or I even contribute to an IRA, but I only do, you know, I have a, a separate IRA just for my wife and I, we put in the max every year, but then the majority of our other money is going into after-tax investments because we understand what it's going to look like when we go to spend that money in retirement. So you just want to have an understanding. Don't just make the assumption, for instance, that all what all the gurus tell you is go max out your IRA. Don't even consider a Roth. You know, I've actually had CPAs make that comment to some mm. of our clients. Oh, don't you don't even worry about a Roth. It's not even you shouldn't even consider it. I'm like, what? Wow. <laughs> you know, why is the CPA in this example, why are they making the assumption that a Roth should not even be looked at? And that's the question I always tell the client. Why don't you go ask the CPA, what's the exit strategy on the IRA? And have them tell you how much tax you're going to owe when you have to take that out. Maybe a Roth would be a good opportunity or maybe a Roth conversion. Invariably, when those conversations have happened with those different CPA tax professionals is they get a little, wow, maybe I made a wrong assumption. Mm-hmm. So you want to understand it before we can, quote, make the assumption that one direction or the other is right or wrong. Great guidance, I think, and uh, puts us in the right direction for the rest of this conversation. Let's flip the page to possibly a Social Security assumption. And a lot of people have this you know, operating thought, Matt, that delaying Social Security, if possible, is going to yield the most income over the long haul. Although that's not necessarily incorrect for everyone, for some people it will be. 
Yeah, you know, the, the Social Security question is something that comes up all the time. When do I take it? You know, I hear all the time, well, it's going to go away, or I want to make sure I get everything that I've put into it. I've been paying into it forever. And really what you want to look at is, and all of those things in some capacity could be accurate, but you want to look at your own situation on, I've advised some clients, hey, listen, you need to take Social Security early. And that, a lot of that has to do with their income need and how much assets they have and when they're looking to retire. You know, if I'm pulling down too much on the portfolio to meet my income needs where I can kind of ease that up a little bit, or I should say investable assets, I ease that up a little bit because now I've got Social Security coming in. In that particular case, that makes sense to take it early. On the other side, delaying Social Security, yeah, maybe if, you know, the numbers will show if I live to 85, 90, 95, it's probably better off. But I don't want to be at that point because I delayed that I used up all of my investable assets just to get to that point of having a higher Social Security payment. And so there's all different aspects that you want to look at before just making that decision of taking Social Security early. You know, I tell everyone when I host the workshops that we do, your goal, your finish line should be your full retirement age. And you shouldn't even consider taking Social Security before that unless some of these other things come about. But you really want to, before you just go in and take Social Security, you really want to have looked at how it's going to fit into your whole plan. You know, I always start the workshops out letting people know, I'm here to do this so you don't make a bad decision around Social Security for some emotional type of reason. And I use my family. I use my parents in this example. And, you know, what we found out later was that my dad made a poor decision on when he took Social Security because of some emotional issues that he had around some stuff he was listening to and reading online and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. So, you know, understanding where Social Security and, you know, is health an issue, understanding the survivorship benefits for Social Security, for the surviving spouse, all of that goes into, it's not just the idea of looking at my Social Security statement and, oh, if I wait till 70, my amount's going to be, quote, quote, this amount. And that's really what I want. You have to look at everything else before we just automatically make that assumption. Yep. Hugely important to do so. And I think it's a good time to bring up an oldie but a goodie here, Matt. And that's that if I put most of my money into bonds, it creates a safer portfolio. After all, that's how the saying has gone for years. Get out of stocks and into bonds. Not necessarily the case anymore. You know, and that's so true, Walter. So many people have thought that, but many people don't understand bonds historically, yes, they are a more conservative investment than, say, stocks, but bonds still have volatility surrounded by them. You know, if you have a long-term bond, many people don't realize that is a very volatile position because it's very sensitive to the way interest rates are going up or down. And usually the short to medium bonds, term that is, short term, medium term, intermediate term bonds, is they are more conservative, but they don't really give a great rate of return. And like even if we look at what the bond market has done over the course of really the last election, there's been a ton of money leave the bond market and go into the stock market. 
you know, and it's kind of, it's how that works. So just all of a sudden I'm going to throw a bunch of money into bonds and then we have to look at what type of bond it is. Is it a corporate grade A or a sovereign grade A type of bond or is it a quote high yield, which is just a better name for junk bonds? You know, so thinking or making the assumption, I'm just going to go buy a bunch of bonds and I'll be fine because my volatility won't be there. I think that is a poor long-term assumption because there's so much else that needs to be looked at with the quote bond inside the portfolio and also what you're looking for that bond to do and when you're looking to spend that bond. So just having this old, old thinking of adding bonds is just the automatic way to go when you go in or are already in retirement, I think is an assumption that is probably not one that long-term is going to be prudent for you. Makes a lot of sense as well. Last but not least, we'll hit our fourth bad financial assumption here, Matt, and that would be that when offered with the opportunity to take a lump sum, it's going to pretty much always be the best approach for you to take. Why is that a bad operating assumption? I'm sorry, that you say that it usually is going to be? Okay, I'll, I'll make it an absolute so it's easier. Taking a lump sum is always going to be the best approach. Okay, so that, <laughs> let's think about that always. So what you want to understand when you look at taking the pension lump sum, I will say this, most of the time it is a good decision because now you've taken that asset and it's in your name versus if you just decided to take the pension payment, it's only going to be for you and hopefully your spouse, if you're married, you'll have that option as well. Uh, because if you die prematurely, you lose all of that money. But on the same idea is most of the time you really want to do the calculation to see how much of this, quote, buyout are they giving you in the pension lump sum? You know, if, if they're giving you a, a higher amount where it's going to take, you know, 13, 14, 17, 18 years on what they're going to give you today versus what they would give you monthly would take that long to get your money back. And eh, that's probably a good decision. But if it only takes six or seven years, that means they're really not giving you a great option on the lump sum. And you really want to probably consider going ahead and taking that monthly payout for either just you or, as I mentioned earlier, your spouse, because the option that they're giving you really isn't that great. And then, of course, you have to look at if I if I take it, understanding the ways that you need to take it and how quickly am I going to have to start taking money out of it? Because it will be taxable one way or another, whether you move it to an IRA and take it out as income or whether you take it all at that particular time, which I would not advise doing that. So you just want to go through the calculations and then see how it's going to fit in to the rest of your financial plan. Well, and I know that these are the kinds of things that you're talking about constantly at the workshops that you're doing throughout the area. Tell us a little bit about some of these educational opportunities that you have and how somebody might be able to get involved to learn a little bit more about maybe the assumptions that we need to make sure we're not building into our financial plan. The ones that we've done most recently so far this year is we always host them. Either there's a university right around the corner, we host them at their graduate center, or we host them at libraries. And it's it's strictly an informational opportunity for people to come in on different subjects. So far this year, the two subjects we've done because they've been pretty, the pretty hot topics right now is understanding how social security works because of the rule changes that went into effect at the end of 2015. And then also we've got a new, we've got a new tax structure. We've got a new tax plan and understanding what opportunities are there, and then also what you need to be made aware of. In some cases, it's good. In some cases, it's not good, and you want to be prepared for that. So 
if you have interest, anyone and they're local, they can always just call our office and schedule a time to actually attend one of those. And usually they're in the area of both of our offices, either down in Newark, Delaware, or up in the, the Westchester area of Pennsylvania. Well, if you want to get all the details on those events, you can go to smartmoneyquestions.com. All the relevant resources are there. That's smartmoneyquestions.com. You can also call 610-719-3003. That's 610-719-3003. That'll get you in touch with Matt and the team, and they can help set you up for one of those upcoming workshops and classes to touch base with. I'll learn a little bit more about some of the things that we talk about here on the podcast, but in even more specifics and obviously more broadly than what we can cover in you know our typical 15 minutes each week. So again, just call 610-719-3003 or find us online at smartmoneyquestions.com. Not only information about the workshops there, but also a chance to listen to past podcast episodes and lots of other great resources there as well. smartmoneyquestions.com. Matt, thanks for walking us through some of these bad assumptions, and uh, I feel like you did not make a you-know-what out of you and me on today's show (laughs) by disabusing some of these uh, ill-conceived notions. So well done on that front, sir. Good deal, good deal. (laughs) From Matt Housman, I'm Walter Storrell. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope you had fun. We'll talk to you next time on Smart Money Questions. 